0: We've been in a series in the book of Daniel this fall, and during Advent we are looking at the prophecies in Daniel as they point us to the coming of our Lord. And we are now in Daniel chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible, you can follow along with me, or you can follow along here on the screen as I read Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel. After of which it appeared at the first, and I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the uh, Ulai Canal. And I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns. Both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. The goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. Saw him come close to the ram, and he was engaged or enraged against him, and he struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground, and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. And the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn. It grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. Some of the hosts, some of the stars that flew down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great even as great as the prince of the host. The regular burnt offering was taken away from it. The place of the sanctuary was overthrown. The host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw the truth to the ground. And prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, "For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and hosts to be trampled underfoot?" And he said to me, "For twenty-three hundred evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state." When I Daniel had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold. There stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me, and he made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of India and Persia. The great goat is the the king of Greece, the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, the place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressions have reached their limit, the king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper unto his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many he shall even rise up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken but by no human man the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now and i daniel was overcome and lay sick for some days then i rose and i went about the king's business but i was appalled by the vision and did not understand it this is the word of the lord Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your word when it comes to us really clearly, and we're thankful for your word when it comes to us sometimes in very confusing images. We are thankful most of all, O Lord, for the proclamation that you are the king, and that you are the king who will reign, and that your kingdom will have no end. That is where we find our hope today and always. We pray in the name of that king, Jesus. Amen. Last weekend, uh, my family and I drove to Bryan, Texas, and we went to see our son Hampton uh, and his football team play in a playoff game, which unfortunately they lost. It was a great game, had a lot of fun, uh, and heartbreaking at the end, and back and forth the whole time. It was raining the whole time. It was kind of miserable, honestly, to tell you the truth. Uh, but honestly, the, the lead-up to the game was almost as difficult as the game itself. Because uh, as we drove there, trying to get there, you know, from, from the Broncos to Brian, and get there on time and be ready for kickoff, we hit traffic in Bastrop that had us standing still for 45 minutes probably. And uh, as you can probably imagine, uh, you know, my blood starts to boil a little bit. My face gets a little bit redder. I'm watching the GPS, you know, just slowly tick up the time of our arrival and watching that gets you know, closer and closer to kickoff. And uh, as my mood changes, um, you know, everybody in the car, you know, generally can feel it. Let's just stop that. Uh, it, you know, it was really just kind of a, a discouraging, difficult trial of sorts. Now, what if somebody had called me, though, an hour before and said, hey, just so you know, there's a bunch of traffic in Bastrop. Be prepared. That would have been nice. That would have actually prepared me. Maybe I would have even done something different. Maybe we would have left a little earlier. It, It wouldn't have stopped traffic. The traffic would have still been there, but it would have changed the way that I prepared while I went through that hard time. It would probably even change the way that I waited through that hard time. It certainly would have changed my mood and would have been better for everybody else in the car had I been prepared for the difficulty to come. Well, that's actually what's going on in this passage. God is kind of calling his people and he's saying, hey, just so you know, there's a bunch of traffic up ahead and it's going to get difficult. Now, let me let me set this up by backing up just a little bit. Of course, if you were here last week, uh, you you heard us read uh, chapter seven of Daniel and talk about some similar things. And I gave you a picture of how to understand uh, this general kind of prophecy. What we call apocalyptic literature, and and what apocalyptic literature is, is the message is almost always the same, and that message is this time is going to end. This time that is filled with conflict and strife and difficulty, it's going to come to a close, and there will be a time of peace and justice and righteousness where God Himself will reign. Apoc- apocalyptic literature is almost always a vision of the end of this time and the beginning of a new time. What trips us up oftentimes is the method by which it comes to us, which is usually a bunch of really confusing imagery that we have a hard time understanding. But we also said that not only the message and the method of apocalyptic are important, but also uh, really the purpose of apocalyptic is helpful to remember. And that is to give God's people hope. To give God's people who are living in that current time, the time of conflict and trial, hope for a future that is to come. If you could uh, could encapsulate this in song, uh, it would be uh, A Change is Going to Come by Sam Cooke. That's apocalyptic literature in a nutshell is Sam Cooke's A Change is Going to Come. And then we we shrunk the the focus down a little bit closer in chapter 7. And God gave Daniel a vision of these four beasts that were these four kingdoms that were going to come and wreak havoc really in the world and on God's and then the time that God himself, the Ancient of Days, and Jesus, the Son of Man, would come and sit on the throne and reign forever in an everlasting kingdom. So we got apocalyptic literature, the big picture. We shrunk it down a little bit in chapter 7, and we saw that uh, the, the kingdoms of this world are going to be pretty beastly, but God is actually going to come and reign. All right, so now we've got a journey to don't stop believing. Okay. We went from a change is going to come to don't stop believing. In chapter 8, we actually get even smaller, and we focus really on that time of conflict. What's it going to look like during the time in which we wait for God to come and sit on his throne? And now we've got Tom Petty's "The waiting is the hardest part. And that's really what God is saying to Daniel here, and what he's saying to us, is that while we wait for our king to come, there is going to be trouble. So be prepared. There's traffic up ahead. So get ready. Let me just kind of recap uh, this dream for us so we can go back and, and maybe understand it just a little bit better. Daniel has a dream. It's a frightening dream again. Uh, it, it must not have been very fun to be Daniel. He had some bad dreams. This is a dream that starts with this crazy ram, a ram with two big horns, and this ram is causing destruction everywhere. And the ram is going crazy, and nobody can stop this ram, and it looks like it's trampling everything. But then there springs up a goat with one horn, unicorn goat. And unicorn goat uh, really takes on the ram, and even though it didn't look like anything could stop the ram, the unicorn goat actually tramples on the ram and, and, and conquers it, and now we've got no ram, we've just got goat. But then unicorn goat turns into four horned goat. Four horns kind of spring up on this goat, and then out of one of those horns, a little horn comes up, and it's the most destructive of all. And this little horn actually starts to kind of not only destroy everything, but it seems like he's a particular thorn for God's people. In fact, you start seeing religious language kind of woven in here where this little horn is actually doing things like desecrating God's sanctuary and challenging the prince and princess God himself. Lifting himself up to be really God himself. So what in the world is going on with this dream? What's it all about? I heard on the radio this week that um, you know, Don McLean's favorite uh, famous song, American Pie, somebody said, what's American Pie all about? He was in an interview. They really want to know. Just tell us what it means. What does it mean? And he said, what it means is that I don't ever have to work another day in my life. That's what the song means. Fortunately, we don't get uh, that excuse in this passage, because Daniel, uh, as seems to be the case through a lot of his dreams, God sends him some kind of interpreters and narrators that work kind of both inside and outside the dreams. He gets to actually talk to these angels who were there that explain to him exactly what's going on. What the angel says is, here, Daniel, this is what it means, that, that ram with the two big horns. That's media and persia the kingdoms of media and persia and they are going to join together and they are going to be a force to be reckoned with now just remember daniel is actually in, at this point uh, in the kingdom of babylon so media and persia are kingdoms that will come and we'll get to that in just a second and then the goat that's going to trample over that two-horned ram is greece and particularly that first horn it's the first king of greece but after that first king does his job of, of really conquering everything, four other kind of kingdoms are going to come up. And out of one of those kingdoms is going to come a ruler or a king who is going to do some incredible damage to God's people. And he's going to be ruthless, and he is going to be unjust, and he is going to be dead set on wiping out God's people forever. Now a couple here, I think, for us if we do a little history work. Rewind a little bit and figure out how, where we are in the story and historically what's to come. So Daniel, at this point in the book of Daniel, has been working for a couple of Babylonian kings. Babylon is the major power in the region at the time. But, you know, as you get toward the end of Daniel's story and in the book of Daniel, what you see is that there's another world power that would actually come in, and that's Persia. In fact, it's the combination of two world powers— media and Persia that combine into one and take over really what is known as the what is known of the of the entire world at the time. It is the world's first real superpower. And when you look on the map, you know you see that it's large. It really stretches from the Mediterranean all the way to the Persian Gulf. It takes up almost all of what we would now call the Middle East, with the exception of the Arabian Peninsula. It covers tons of territory. And Cyrus, the king of Persia Media and Persia together. he guys, one thing that's really wonderful is that he actually allows the exiles, uh, the, the Jewish exiles who are living in Babylon, to go back to their homeland. So, this is where you see God's people go back to Jerusalem. You read in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, and God's people settling back in their homeland. But it's really helpful to remember that when they settle back in their homeland, they are still settling under foreign reign, and Persia is in control, and Persia remains in control for a long, long time. It's about 539 B.C. is when that starts. Well, in about 336, I believe, B.C., is when uh, a guy pops on the scene named Alexander. And Alexander is Macedonian. He lives in Greece or Macedonia. He grows up kind of uh, well-tutored. He's a smart kid. He grows up with, uh, with a tutor who's, who's a pretty good philosophy teacher, a guy named Aristotle. And he's not only a smart kid, he's an incredible battle commander. And he takes control of the Greek empire and at the ripe old age, old age of about 20, spreads the Greek empire all the way across what Persia used to have and more. He takes over truly what would have been known as the world at that time and spreads the Greek kingdom all over. Remember we had this ram with two horns, Media, Persia, and they were conquered by a goat with one horn. That's Greece under Alexander. He's an incredible battle commander. He never loses a battle, actually. He dies at 32, young, uh, actually in Nebuchadnezzar's castle, in the the Babylon kind of area. Uh, Nobody really knows exactly how he died, except uh, all the stories include wine. And so uh, either he has drunk himself to death or someone has taken advantage of him or someone has poisoned him with his wine. But after Alexander dies, that one horn, actually he doesn't have a very good succession plan. And so what happens is his kingdom, vast as it is, breaks up into four separate kingdoms. And they're given to his four main generals. And each of these generals kind of oversees one of these four kingdoms that kind of divides up this vast Greek Empire, and you have different ones, and uh, and, and Israel, God's people, they're living in Judah and Israel, are actually first of all fall under the, the Ptolemies. Uh, they're they're part of Egypt. So again, this stretches all the way down to Egypt, all the way across, you know, to Iran, all the way into half of Afghanistan. I mean, it is an enormous empire, and so this Egyptian kind of uh, area, the Ptolemies first have control over God's people in Israel, but then actually it's taken over by the Seleucids. And just hang on a second, I'm not, this is going somewhere, I promise. Uh, it's taken over by the Seleucid Empire, and there arises a king in that empire whose name is Antiochus. And this is a really important guy in history. He's a guy that we actually don't think about much and doesn't get a lot of historical press, but biblically speaking, he's pretty important. Because his goal his main goal in all of his life and his rule is to eradicate Jewish thought. It is to build uh, a Greek religion that pervades everything. And this guy is arrogant. His nickname is Antiochus Epiphanes because he actually prints coins with his face on it. And they say Epiphany on it. Epiphany means uh, the, the appearing of a god. We celebrate the season of, of Epiphany. Christmas because we are celebrating the appearing of Jesus, Emmanuel. But Antiochus was celebrating the appearance of himself as a god. So he's incredibly arrogant. He's also incredibly ruthless, especially to God's people. He he burns copies of the law. He begins killing anybody who doesn't obey all of his strict commands. He bans circumcision, the, the covenant mark of God's people. And then he starts doing things just to make people mad. He sacrifices a pig, that would have been an unclean animal, on, on the temple altar, the middle of the temple. He goes himself into the Holy of Holies, which is supposed to be reserved for only the high priest, and he puts in there an article of worship to Zeus. He desecrates God's temple. He begins killing God's people. He is a terrible thorn in the side of God's people. In fact, They are almost eradicated in some ways. And almost every scholar and commentator on this passage would say, the little horn that is doing so much damage in Daniel's vision is Antiochus' Epiphanes, that was ruling in about 175 B.C. So what do we do with that? What do we do who are now sitting here in 2020 A.D.? We're well past Antiochus. He's no problem for us anymore. What do we do with this prophecy? Well, remember the main point here that God is making to his people. There's traffic coming. Get ready. There's difficulty coming. It's going to be hard. Prepare yourself. Well, I wonder, do we need to hear that message? You know, I think, um, gosh, it really would have been great if somebody would have called me about this time last year said hey just so you know there's going to be a worldwide pandemic coming um, and uh, it's going to change everything and uh you're going to have to shut down church for a while and oh by the way there's also going to be a bunch of racial tension happening all across your country uh for, for about a summer and then there's going to be this really contentious uh, uh presidential election and oh by the way you know some of the people that um some of the people just aren't going to come back to church after you shut it down because Bible, they just didn't really didn't really want to come to church anyway. And some of the people are just going to get mad when you preach about things that are hard, something like race, they're going to leave. And some people are going to leave when you ask them to, to put a mask on when you come to church. And some marriages are going to fall apart. And some, some uh, friendships are going to fall apart. And uh, some people are going to be frustrated. And some people are going to get sick. And some people are going to die. That would have been nice to get that call. and get ready for these things. But you know what? Actually, we did get that call. It's in John 15, when Jesus says this to his disciples and to us. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted you, or if you persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Then he spelled it out really plainly to his disciples in the next chapter and said, In this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus did tell us that. He did tell us there's traffic up ahead. Prepare, get ready. We still live in that world, right? So so Daniel got to see the return from exile, but he was waiting for the incarnation and he had to be prepared on how to wait for the incarnation. We've actually seen the incarnation and we are waiting for the return of Christ. But we have to do the same thing that Daniel and those after him did, which is wait patiently, wait expectantly, but wait actively. Be ready the difficulty so how do we do that how do we actively wait how do we actively participate in the longing for Jesus to come and make all things new how do we prepare ourselves even to go about fighting the difficulty that we're going to face well, the answer might surprise you we go to work I don't want to just pay it draw your attention to the very end of this chapter i think it's fascinating verse 27 this is what daniel said and i daniel was overcome and lay sick for some days then i rose and i went about the king's business but i was appalled by the vision and did not understand it isn't that fascinating what daniel does When he is given the vision that, A, God is going to come and rule and reign and all of this is going to pass away, and B, there's going to be difficulty in the meantime, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't say, well, I'm out of here. I'll just bail out and kind of go form my own little kind of ghetto where I can be saved and wait for Jesus to come. He doesn't say, I will not engage in anything that God has put in front of me. He doesn't say, well, all of these secular empires that are around me, I've already seen how beastly they are, so they're not worth any of my time. He does just the opposite. He goes to work for the king. Happy told me this week uh, this amazing quote from Martin Luther. He was asked, what would you do if you knew the world was going to end tomorrow? You know what he said? I would plant a tree. I would plant a tree. Isn't that fascinating? God's people have always been called to wait and long for the return of Christ. But in doing so, as they wait, as we long, we do what God has put in front of us to do. We don't bail out, we dig in, we don't move away, we move toward. We do what God has put in front of us. Because that's the way that God is actually going to make his kingdom come to bear here on earth. And I know sometimes the little things that God has put in front of us can feel pretty meaningless. I don't know if you've ever been um, to a symphony and watched you know, an orchestra playing and maybe even like paid spe- specific and special attention. To, to one of the members of the symphony. So let's just take, for instance, we're paying close attention to the timpani player. The timpani player, the guy with the big kettle drums, right? And they sound awesome. But if you've ever watched a timpani player in the middle of a symphony, they don't usually do a lot. They do a lot of reading of the music and following along. And then as their time comes, boom, 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 boom. And it's awesome. And it's exactly what the song needs. And it does so much. And I stop and I read some music for you know another three pages, and then they go boom, 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 boom. And if we were just listening to the timpani player's part, and we kind of just you know took out everybody else in the orchestra, it would be very boring music. It would not make much sense. It would feel kind of absurd. It would feel kind of pointless. But when you combine their part with all the other parts, the whole sounds glorious. That is actually the way that God has made us to function in this world. He's given us our little part to play. We play it faithfully. We do it well. We work hard at it. And, you know, sometimes it just seems weird. And we may be asking those questions. You know, does it it really matter that I get up and go to work every day? Does it really matter that I'm sitting down you know, scrolling through emails that seem to never end? Does this conference call really matter? Does it really matter that I'm filling out uh, reports and budgets? Does it really matter that I'm doing any of these things? Does it really matter that I get up and I make breakfast for my kids in the morning? Does it really matter that I change this diaper? Does it really matter actually that that I invite my neighbor over for dinner? Does it matter that I do these things? I mean, come on, I'm working for this secular company, or I'm doing good for this secular culture. Does that even have a point? And you know what God's word says? Yes, it does. It matters. In fact, the way that we wait, and we long, and we anticipate, and we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, the way that we do that is that we do what God has Let me close just with a question for us to to ponder for a second. What would it mean for you to work more fervently, even as you waited more faithfully? What would it mean for you to work fervently in what God has put in front of you? For his glory, for the good of your neighbor, the world? What would it mean for you to engage in going to work for the king, even as you wait for the real king? to pray for us, and then just give us a few moments to ponder that question again. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this word that you have given us from Daniel. It's it's a little discouraging, maybe, to realize there's difficulty ahead. But Lord, we, we look forward to this, even as we look forward to the bigger picture that you are in charge of all things that you are sovereign over all things, and that you truly are making all things new. So, Lord, as we celebrate anticipating your first coming in Advent, Christmas, as we gather around even with family over the coming weeks and we celebrate Christmas, Lord, will you let it build in us anticipation of your coming again? And as we build that anticipation, Lord, show us how to take hold faithfully with what you have put in front of us. Pray in Jesus' name.